Good morning, Americans. This is Randy Landry um, and my 30th podcast in Common Sense and Ramblings in America. I'm going to be reading um, Chapter 3 on my memoirs, which I have posted in common-sense-america.com, and you can find it in the category The Blogist. Today's chapter is a life of a blogger, a truly never-ending story, as I stated, Chapter 3, Death and Near-Death Experiences. Sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? But I did have a few of these in my life, so I am going to read an excerpt, or should I say the entirety of this chapter. I hope you enjoy it. I was not sure where to put this chapter, or whether or not to even write it at all. I thought of simply including each event in the storyline. Since I've already taxed the reader with many asides, I thought it better to write it as a separate and even a standalone chapter. Since two of the experiences involve my real father, I thought the placing of it in the third chapter slot would be the most congruous with the storyline. This chapter will involve my natural and supernatural experiences. They have all happened and will be recounted as accurately as possible. In the month and year of August 1965, my close encounters began. My father, mother, Tina, Robert, and myself began an epic journey, with Mexico City being the final destination. My father always wanted to see two things in Mexico, one an authentic bullfight in the floating gardens of Mexico City, more for mom's sake. Considering the road trip would start in New York State, it was quite an undertaking at that time. Such a lengthy trip is sure to be fraught with many mishaps, and this one did not disappoint. One of the stops that our family wanted to make was in Alcapulco City, Mexico, for the world-famous cliff divers. These divers routinely dive greater than 100 feet off the cliffs of Alcapulco. It is an amazing sight to see. The beaches are also amazing, but they are known for their treacherous currents and undertoes. That is why I was in water with no more than waist deep, which... For someone less than four years of age, is not much water at all. But the currents caught me anyway and towed me out, despite my best efforts. Down I went, under the water. I remember being very calm. I did not struggle at all. I could see the light simmering through the water, or was it? The next thing I remember was my father working on me. He was blowing air into my little lungs and pushing on my chest. I heard my mother sobbing in the background. Then I recall the most violent coughing and retching. These are terms I did not, of course, understand at the time. All I knew was that my chest hurt some. I also knew that it was painful to breathe. I heard my father say, I was okay. Then my mother smothered me with hugs and kisses. The only time I remember her acting this way. I, of course, wanted nothing to do with water for some time after that. I did not learn how to swim until my mother and stepfather moved to Florida. Remember in Chapter 1 that I mentioned CPR? Well, this is when it came in handy. Some cultures and religions believe that there are a finite number of souls in the universe and that they are recycled. Well, I don't know about that. But if you believe that way, you may say that my father sacrificed his life so that I could live. If he had not been sickly and had learned CPR, he would not have known how to revive me, and I would not be writing this book now. So did I technically die? I stopped breathing. I had officially drowned and there was water in my lungs. 
I was also very relaxed and I saw light. So you tell me. This is the closest I came to actual death, though I have had many close calls of which I will catalog below. Our Mexico trip was good for one more shot at me. As fate would have it, our refrigerator died in our travel trailer. We knew not to drink the water, so we had brought plenty of water from the U.S., but everything was warm, so we bought bags of ice. But somehow, the ice got mixed in with our water supply. The only person not to get sick was my father because he had taken some medicine or had gotten some shots. I don't know which. All I know was he was just remained healthy. I also soon remember that Robert did not get sick either. I, being the youngest, got the sickest. If you know anything about pediatric medicine, children don't have very big reserves of anything. I began, came greatly dehydrated, so much so that I could barely move. My parents found a local doctor and he insisted that I be taken to the hospital where I received fluids administered through my bloodstream. I had again no idea what this meant at the time. All I know is that I had almost died because that the doctors in the hospital told my parents. If they had just waited one more day to seek medical care for me, it would have been too late. I quickly recovered and resumed our trip with the refrigerator fixed as well. Close call number one. Yes, my father did get to see his bullfight. However, he absolutely hated it. My mother also got to see her floating gardens, but she never really said it was worth all the hype. You just could never tell with her she could be having the time of her life and afterwards say it was just all right. In chapter one, I had mentioned that I found out about girls at an early age. We had two neighborhood girls that lived in an apartment behind our house. I also mentioned that my father was disabled from the American Can Company. Our property backed up to the very distant corner of their property, so the little girls also had the back of their property against it as well. I just right, it just right ended with our two lots. Well, they liked to play with the cake ball, of course. They kicked it over the fence. Well, dumbass Randy to the rescue. This was not just any chain link fence. It had three strands of barbed wire slanting forward on the top. I don't know what the hell possessed me to think I could actually get over the damn fence, get the ball, and get back over it. All I knew was that two really cute girls were in distress. Two girls that had never paid any attention to me before now thought I was Superboy. So up the damn fence I went. Initially, everything went like planned. I made it to the top of the fence, then shit happened. One of my feet pulled out of the threat link in the fence it was wedged into. My left hand slipped, and my wrist subsequently plunged down on the twisted barb at the top of the fence. As luck would have it, my other foot slipped out as well, so now I am dangling from my left wrist. I never said a word, or did I cry. I got both feet into the links and pried my wrist out of the twisted wire. The wire had almost pierced through the other side of my wrist. It was just a tangled mess of goop. It actually looked pretty cool if you want to talk about it. I was envy of all the boys in my elementary class after that because I had a scar like a pirate. So I calmly went into the house and asked my mother for a band-aid. The thought being that I could go out back and try again once she patched me up. Boy, I had hormones before I even knew what hormones were. When my mother saw my wrist, the scream she let out shattered windows two streets over. Her scream was so loud that it made me start crying. Dr. Haber to the rescue. She rushed me to his office where he quickly pushed all the goop back into my wrist and sewed me up. 
I got a few shots for good measure. I have included a picture, which you obviously cannot see, of the blood vessels and an arm. And needless to say, there are blood vessels going down both sides of the wrist, arteries and veins. And the barb went right in between. There's a little gap right in there between the ulnar and radial arteries. If it would have been a little bit more to the right, a little more to the left, I could have bled out. But luck would have it, the angels were looking over me because I was fine. So, I've discussed what the picture showed. Okay. So, guess how old I was. I was in second grade, so I was seven years old. It is a wonder I made it to eight. Close call number two. By the way, I won't keep on doing that now. It is getting boring after all. As a result, I wasn't able to talk to the little girls in our backyard for quite some time. What a loss. Who doesn't like to climb trees? Well, I guess it is mostly a boy thing after all. My oldest brother, Ronnie, had just suffered a major heart attack and was recovering from a bypass operation. And his wife and two boys were living with us in Florida. I was 11 years old at the time. Yes, I survived that long. I had gained more weight and I was no longer sexy. So I was safe for a while, but now I had my old nemesis under my roof, Tim. So I had to show off with him. We had this really cool forest in the back of our trailer park. I used to call it our rainforest. Of course, that was only in our imagination. But it did have cool trees, a canal with gators, live gators that is, raccoons, and a silver fox. I believe there was a big predatory cat back there as well. So of course we explored the hell out of that place. We waded across the canal and did all kinds of stupid shit. We came across a big tree that we wanted to climb. We had some rope with us as well. Our goal was to get the rope up to the high branch so we could make a swinging vine. We were playing Tarzan that day after all. Neither one of us could throw the rope over the lowest branch. The rock we had the rope tied to would not fall right. So I decided to climb the tree and tie the rope off myself. What could go wrong, you ask? I was up about 20 feet or so and I still hadn't reached that damn branch when the one I was holding on to simply broke. Have you ever seen somebody fall in a movie like, say, Die Hard? Do I think missing was the machine gun and me saying, Motherfuck. Remember that bar of ivory soap? Nope, I could not do it. Well, about five minutes later, I finally hit the ground flat on my back. Every molecule of air was driven from my lungs. I couldn't move. I couldn't talk or do a damn thing. I couldn't even swear. I thought I was dying. Of course, my nephew was panicking. He tried to carry me, and that didn't work. He tried dragging my fat ass out of our jungle, and that didn't work. Finally, I got enough air and back in my lungs to say, Stop! I was finally able to tell him I was all right. We checked out the ground where I had fallen. It looked like a field of punji sticks had been laid by the Viet Cong. I sure was lucky. I could have broken my damn back or pierced by some branch, sharp branch. We had a neighbor who had three boys, the youngest being just about my age. My parents got along well with them, and we even went on a trip together with them to New Orleans. As a fun aside, I will briefly discuss this trip in my next chapter. On the weekends, if the tides were right, we used to go scalloping out on the Keys in the Gulf of Mexico. There was also a power plant close by that pumped warm water into the Gulf. 
This provided a nice breeding ground for its scallops and, of course, sharks. You would walk about a half a mile to get to the scallop field, so you did this in low tide. The water was very shallow there, of course. We would stay out of there snorkeling and catching scallops until high tide started coming in. It made the swim easy because it was bringing us back into the shore with the current. Unfortunately, we stayed out too long and we lost the help of the tide. So we started the long swim back, loaded down, each with a bag full of scallops. By the time we finally got into the shallow water where we could stand up and walk easily, and we both turned around and there must have been a hundred sharks fins in the water behind us. They had been found the path of the fish and us. Talking about a close call, these sharks were hammerheads, known man-eaters. This event, the following event, involved my first wife. I don't know what happened. I was not without mishaps during this time. I will include more of my mishaps in subsequent chapters. They just don't qualify as true close calls. We were up in the mountains in North Carolina looking for a campsite to stay at. It was an early in the season, so the pickings were very slim. I had my Azusa Trooper with our trusty utility trailer in tow. We followed this sign saying that there was a campsite five miles ahead. Uh, we climbed for about what seemed like a hundred miles and finally got to the entrance of the park. Well, guess what? The damn park was closed. I was so pissed off, but now we had a problem how to turn around and get the hell out of there. It seemed like there were sheer cliffs on three of the four sides. So I had my wife get out of the trooper so she could direct me and keep our vehicle from falling into a chasm. I was backing up and the next thing my eardrums were shattered by this blood-curdling scream. One tire was off the cliff and half the other tire was also off the cliff. If the other tire had completely slipped off, the weight of the trailer would have pulled my truck over into the abyss and it was about 20,000 foot drop. After I cleaned up the shit in my drawers, I ever so gently pulled forward and was able to get the hell out of there. I was proud of my wife. I did not think she could shatter bone with her voice. So after several failed attempts at finding a campsite, we decided to call it quits on this trip. We were just having so much damn fun, we said enough is enough. But as luck would have it, the gods were not finished with us yet. So now we had made it to Georgia. And I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. We were driving on this two-way elevated road, driving through open fields of sawgrass when my ever-observant wife told me to look behind us. The sky looked like it should be in hell. It was that black. I could also start to feel our trooper moving a little bit as it was buffeted by strong winds, so I just floored it. I was going as fast as that V6 2.8 liter motor could go. We finally reached a little town. By that time, the wind sounded like a freight train. The road in the town made a T at this point. There was a building on the other side of the T, so I just drove up next to it. It was a stone building and looked pretty sturdy. We were able to park right between the building, which was on the left, and a big oak tree, which was on the right. It was just mere seconds afterwards when the tornado struck. But instead of going the way we went, it veered to the right and followed the T in the road. Boy, miracles can happen. We gave the storm about an hour when we extricated ourselves from a cocoon and kept on driving. The town we passed through was devastated. With my track record, you would think I would not engage in extreme sports. Well, you would be wrong. 
I was an avid scuba diver. I have tandem skydived and have even been hang gliding. The question should be asked is how am I still alive? One reason that I no longer dive as frequently is that I have had too many close calls. I will only include two diving close calls, otherwise the whole chapter would be about diving. The first incident involved the use of a dry suit and the shipwreck, the Yukon. In this book, this chapter, I showed a picture of a dry suit so you could get an idea of what I was talking about. Obviously, I can't do that, but I will describe it a little bit. It is a suit that is maintained um, with air and a, um, in this particular one, it was a tri-laminate um, layer and you wore different types of underwear, um, insul uh, insulated underwear. The thicker the underwear, the colder the water. On this suit, there are a couple valves, um, one in the center, which is used to inflate oxygen, and then one on either shoulder, high up in the shoulder, is um, for releasing the pressure of the air. Okay. So uh, I've kind of did that, so I will skip over a little bit of this chapter. All right, so. As you get closer to the surface, the pressure decreases, so you have to let out air of your suit through the valve in the shoulder. Sounds pretty simple, right? In theory, that is when everything works. I had a couple problems. First, my suit was too large, and it trapped way too much air. Also, the valve that put air into my suit got stuck in the open position. So, the valve that dumped out the excess air wasn't designed to handle that much air at one time. The Yukon is one of the most challenging wrecks in the California coastline. The currents are strong, the water is murky and cold, and the wreck is mostly at a greater than 100 foot of depth. Even with a nitrox mixture, your time allowed at the bottom is limited. The first 10 minutes of the dive went well, then shit happened and a cascade of events occurred. I was simply too new of a dry suit diver to deal with all the events that occurred. I have since made all the necessary adjustments and dove many times with that suit with no further issues. My suit filled with air and I got knocked in an upside down position so my feet were up and I was being dragged to the surface. When you are down that deep you need to do at least two safety stops and you need to ascend very slower or you could blow out your lungs. The Yukon had six lines attached to buoys at the surface. I knew if I free floated to the surface I was a gunner. I had to get to one of these lines. With the help of my dive buddy, I was finally able to get to one, but I was burning through my air quickly, and I'd also been down way too long. I was at 20 minutes, so I started ascending up the line feet first. As I got closer to the surface, the more buoyant my suit got and the faster I was rising. The release valve was useless because air goes to the highest point in these suits, which was now the feet. I blew through both my safety stops and descended way too fast. I was dragged up the line no matter how hard I held on, it was no good. Eventually I reached the surface. The only thing going for me is that I did not develop a pneumothorax. I was immediately administered oxygen and my second dive was cancelled. The amazing thing is that I suffered no ill effects at all. I must have used up two lives on that dive. I spent several hundred dollars on tweaking the suit and it worked flawlessly afterwards. The second close call involved our search for caves close to the shore of one of the Channel Islands. My dive buddy and I were in about 10 feet of water searching for the cave when out of nowhere. I can only describe it as a giant hand grabbing me. I was immediately pulled to the rocky shore of this island. I kicked like hell with my fins, but it was useless. 
Then suddenly, I was released. So I kept on swimming to get the hell out of there. My dive buddy was hiding safely behind some rocks. There was not a thing he could do to help. All he could do or be good for was to tell me where, tell them where to look for the body afterwards. As I was swimming back out into deeper water, I got grabbed again. This time, I was brought even closer to the ominous rocks on the shore. I thought this time, surely, I was a goner. But just like the last time, I was released at the very last second. I told myself that if this happened a third time, it was all over. So I swam like hell, and this time I got away. There was no third hand of God grabbing me. This last close call convinced me to search for calmer waters. I think I have covered enough close calls, so now I am going to talk about my experiences involving the paranormal. When I was younger, I worked in retail on the night stock crew. At this time, I was burning both ends of the candle. Not only was I working over 40 hours a week, I was working my master's degree as well, and I was getting worn out. I was really starting to break down physically and mentally. So after work one day, a day when I had no classes to go to, I decided I was going to try something different. I laid down on my bed and started thinking of nothingness. I totally emptied my mind of any thought. I was living at home at this time because I could not afford to pay rent and pay for my college at the same time. So I helped out my parents by giving them a smaller stipend than I would pay if renting an apartment. Suddenly, I started hearing a voice from the distance. Then I felt the vigorous shaking, and finally I came to. It was 8 p.m. I had been there almost 12 hours. It felt like mere minutes. During this time, I had felt like I was floating. I remember seeing my body in bed. I also remember floating over my car in the driveway. That is when I was woken up. Where did I have woken up on my own? I don't know. Where was my spirit going? I have never tried this again. It simply was too scary. But I do know when I woke up, I was totally at peace. My body did not hurt. Somehow this trance-like state was exactly what the doctor ordered. I had cured myself. After my first two marriages were quite rocky, during these years I found myself on several close or crossroads. During three of these crossroads, I heard my deceased stepfather's voice calling to me. Apparently, it must take a lot of energy for a spirit to talk to a living person. The only word he could get out was my name. The first time he contacted me, I was nodding off. So I wasn't sure if I heard what I heard. The last two times, I was wide awake, so there was no question that he was contacting me. In all three cases, I altered my course of action. In these three occasions, the new course of action was the correct one for me. It has been over eight years since I have heard from him, so either he feels that I am doing fine, or that he has moved on to a different plane where he can no longer contact me. But whatever the case may be, it made a true believer out of me. This last entry is a head-scratcher. You will probably say that I am making it up. Well, you would be wrong. It happened exactly like I am writing it. I was helping my soon-to-be ex-wife to move into a rental house. I was making the final trip to, of the night, and all I had left to drop off with my truck and utility trailer was a brand-new elliptical trainer. I had purchased it at Sam's Club for her. I had an elliptical trainer at the other house, and, of course, she had to have one for herself one that she would never use. I also had to give her some of my lower weight dumbbells and a pair of boxing gloves because I had a pair. 
the shit she put me through was unbelievable. So I was by myself with this 500-pound box, delivering it to her house. As I made the final turn onto her street, all the street lights went out. I looked all around. I was only on her street that this had happened. I was pissed, but I had a flashlight, so I said, screw it. I pulled up to her house and went in and unlocked the front door. I could go into the garage and open up the door. The light in the house went on. It was just the street lights that were out. Thank God, because I would have had to wrestle with the garage door. So I finally rode the trainer down the right trailer ramp on a furniture dolly. I finally got it in the garage after pushing it and tucking it up the incline of the driveway. Of course, her house couldn't have been flat. That would have been too damn easy. So I finally finished my task. I was going to have to come back another time to put the damn trainer together. That, of course, will involve another story. Why can't life be simple? So I am now in my truck driving back down the way I came because the road was a dead end and no sooner than I had made a right-hand turn off a road, the frigging street lights came back on. Now you can tell me what the hell that was all about. Was her house cursed or was I cursed? Or was God getting back at me for getting a divorce? I don't know. I have never had an experience like this since then. I know one thing. I was really creeped out. Well, this completes my chapter three. I hope you enjoyed it and had as much fun as I did in writing it. You guys have a great day. And soon I will be reading chapter four. Goodbye for now.